Welcome to the Dynamic Leaders Podcast, a product of Talent 409. I am your host, Colin Cernelia. Thank you for joining us today. Go to talent409.com to learn more about how we can help your team or organization with their leadership and culture development. This podcast is available on Spotify, YouTube, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Radio.com, iTunes, and Apple Podcasts. Please consider taking a minute and on Apple Podcasts, giving us a five-star rating and review. Doing this helps other dynamic leaders find us, and it helps us find other dynamic leaders. And don't forget, you can now ask Alexa to play your favorite Apple Podcasts on any Amazon-enabled device. Just say, Alexa, play the Dynamic Leaders Podcast. Getting Dynamic Leaders with Colin Treniglia from Apple Podcasts. On to my featured conversation today with Caroline Stanley Means. Caroline played college soccer at the University of Southern California, and she played for the United States national team before venturing onto a professional career that included stops with Sky Blue FC, the Seattle Rain FC, and the Orlando Pride. Caroline recently got married to John Means who in 2019 became an all-star Major League Baseball pitcher for the Baltimore Orioles. All I have to say about this conversation is when I got off the phone with Caroline, I wanted to go crush something in a good way. I wanted that Mamba mentality to come out. Caroline is an extremely motivational person. She is an extremely passionate person, and you can tell that throughout the course of our conversation today, So let's not tease you any longer, and let's get to this. Here is my talk with Caroline Stanley Meads. Leaders Podcast. Today on the line, I have with me Caroline Stanley. Caroline, thank you so much for joining the show. Hi there. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Really excited. I'm glad to hear that you're excited. Let's dive right into things today because we have a ton to talk about, but I want to give you an opportunity like I do with all of my guests to first tell the listening audience a little bit about yourself. So please tell us, who are you? My name is Caroline Stanley. I actually just recently got married, so I'm now Caroline Means, but probably most uh, well-known for my maiden name, obviously. That's where most of my sports accolades did come from. I am from Kansas City, Missouri, and I played college soccer at the University of Southern California. Fight on, got to throw out the Trojan Way uh, little logo name right there. (laughs) I then went from USC to playing professional soccer in the NWSL, which is the top women's professional league, um, not only in the country, but in the world. And that's not just an ignorant American soccer player talking. That is <laughs> facts. Um, so I played uh, professionally for three years, and then I decided to retire for various reasons and went on to coach Division One soccer at the University of Tulsa for a little over a year and a half. After that, I decided to resign and was a little bit in between about my next steps. Um, I'm currently not coaching and not playing and I'm in a really unique position right now but definitely seeking out some opportunities trying to weigh out my options and and decide kind of on the next uh, path to take. Awesome so definitely like I said a lot to unpack there let's start more towards the beginning and I have to imagine I noticed that you played multiple sports growing up all the way through high school and that sports and athletics in general were probably a pretty big part of your upbringing. Was that something that was installed into you from your family or was that something that you organically just came to love? I think it's a mix of both. My family is a very unique one in the sense of we're an athletic family, but also my dad was a senior pastor of a church. So I was thrust into a bit of a spotlight and leadership role at a really young age. And So a couple things that my parents really instilled upon us was the one, like I mentioned, be a leader, not a follower, and two, start. And those became our family mottos and something that they 
they really held us to a high standard to, to do and to live out. And then not only in a sports world, but also in school, among friends, among peers, just to always do the right thing and to lead others and hopefully lead others well. And being kind of a quote unquote natural born leader, I am also the oldest of three kids. I think that it took a lot of time and mistakes to really refine what being a good leader looks like sure. because you can be a leader, but being a really good leader and also being a leader that doesn't lead from the top, but leads from within is something that I, I even learned more when I was, when I was coaching actually. And that being a leader doesn't mean looking down on people and shaking your hands and giving orders. It really means to be side by side with people and building relationships and getting to know others because then people really want to work for you and they respect you and trust you. Um, I think that it's just this really fragile combination of having some authority, respect, but also love and caring for people in, in turn that they'll they'll care for you and they'll want to follow your lead. And so those those things are kind of the main qualities, the recipe that really came together to bring me to who I am today, who I was as a player, who I, who I was as and am as a coach. And I think that started at home and then was really kind of really pressed into a coal into diamond when I went away from my family and had my own life experiences and really had to make difficult decisions along the way about what kind of person and player I wanted to be. That's all super interesting. And I actually, it resonates with me specifically when you talked about you're the oldest of three. I'm also the oldest of three. And I, I think I went through a lot of those same stumbling blocks along the way where I saw leadership as one way, whether it was the way that I went about how I interacted with my brothers or in just general leadership in sports and in school. And my vision of leadership is completely different today than it was when yeah. I first started. So I can definitely appreciate that. One of the more interesting things I picked up from, and I'd love to hear your opinion on this. So I love how you said that you don't lead from the top, but you lead from within. But what I find really interesting is that the leadership, like for the most part, and, and I'm generalizing, I know a bit here, but for the most part in an organization or in a, in a college program, whatever it may be, the leadership needs to start from the top, but that person has to have that leadership from within, like you said. So it's really interesting that you, you've basically pointed out that you can't just be at the top. You have to be something a little bit more in order for, for things to work, right? Definitely. And I think that's something that a lot of collegiate coaches fail at is they're so scared of losing their power or losing the team that they overcompensate when really the, the gentleness and the caring aspect of it and also really owning your mistakes creates way more respect than if you just point the finger and act like you're the one who is flawless and everyone else is there to serve you. And unfortunately, I've seen that a lot with coaches, especially with young coaches. And I think it really boils down to confidence. Coaches who aren't completely confident in themselves are always going to overcompensate in some area. And unfortunately, kids are getting really smart. <laughs> They've always been smart, but now with this new age technology of basically being able to learn or find out absolutely anything at the touch of a button, people are starting to kind of see through the BS. And I think that it's almost unnerving to coaches, especially when they're older coaches, because they might be a little quote unquote old school and um, kids are changing and you can't just kick them in the butt and tell them to, you know, jump and they're not going to say how high they're going to say why. Right. And that's the biggest difference with specifically high school and college athletes today is they're not going to run through a brick wall for you for no reason. They're going to ask you, why do I have to run through this brick wall? Why can't we go around it? What, you know, what's on the other side of it. And that's something that I try to teach a lot of older coaches uh, that I'm around because I feel like I was in those players' positions just not that long ago. And so I think that's something that really, really, really is an important balance as a leader. From your experience as a player, whether that was back when you were in high school through college and then 
well, pro- probably it's a little bit further back, but let, let's just say growing up, were you more of the type of player that did the, if someone said jump, you said how high instead of why? And then I guess I want to understand where your mindset shifted. Like, were you able to shift that mindset when you were still playing professionally or did that happen in college? From my upbringing, I was definitely that type of person that would just do what my coach told me. I didn't really question it. And now I see it completely flipped, like you said. And I'm just wondering maybe where that has switched in in your experience and if we can um, you know, figure something out from that. My life, I was a no questions asked kind of player. I was going to do whatever I needed to do, fill any role I needed to. I really wanted to please my coaches because I really respected all of my coaches. That was also something that I think was instilled in my upbringing with my family, but I definitely went through periods and I would say probably the first period of time that I went through this was in, in probably in college where I was questioning my coaches. I didn't have the best attitude. I felt like I deserved more that was given to me. And those were the times where instead of just doing what I was told, I was kind of ruffling feathers and not being the best teammate, not being the best leader. And I think that kind of like what I alluded to earlier, it boiled down to confidence. I didn't feel confident in my own performance and I was looking outward instead of looking inward and I would figure it out. I'd move along and I would be back to kind of what I say is my default mode, which is to be a respectful person, to be a hard worker, to be a good teammate and to fill the role that is asked of me. And I think that that gets really hard when you get older and you're playing professionally because you're getting closer to the same age as your coaches and you're no longer an eight year old with like a 45 year old coach. (laughs) You guys are peers now and you're in a very interesting power dynamic. And so I think that I just to, to really summarize it ebbs and it flows. And I think that, those times where I was maybe not being the best version of myself as a player, I learned a lot and and I was also called out for it, which I think is very helpful. And I, and when I was called out for it, I didn't feel bad for myself. I didn't go crying to my mom and dad and say how mean people were being. And my coach did this and said this and to go along with that as well. I think that's a huge dynamic shift that we're seeing in our, in our culture and in our society and sports is, you know, when the kid isn't getting playing time, they go to their parents right. and their parents go to the coaches. Right. Well, I I feel very fortunate that I was not raised like that. If I wasn't getting playing time and I went to my parents, their questions were, well, what are you not doing right? Well, you need to talk to your coach. Well, you need to figure it out. My <laughs> parents never had a conversation with my coaches. Never. Even I remember being eight years old and I was going to miss practice for a birthday party. And my mom said, well, you're going to go tell your coach. And I said, never mind, not worth it, not going to the birthday party. And so I feel really fortunate that I was raised that way. Fortunately, I see a lot of kids who weren't, and I get a lot of, when I was coaching collegiately or high school, I would get a lot of parents coming to me, and I was very honest with them about, I don't have kids, so I'm not going to tell you how to raise your child, but if you're going to continue to work with me, we will not have conversations about your child's performance. Mm -hmm. Your kid can call me. They can come into my office. We're the ones out on the field together. And if you want to call me without your child knowing, I'm more than happy to talk to you about how they're progressing and what I see and what I, how I am evaluating them. But I'm not going to have a conversation with you about explaining why I'm doing certain drills because I'm the professional and you're not. Right. You know, I wouldn't come to your place of work and ask you <laughs> why you're selling certain types of insurance. So why are you coming into my domain and asking me why I'm doing certain drills? Um, And I think that's just the helicopter parent. And I think that kind of what's happening with this generation of parents, my generation who are starting to have children. And I think that we need a little bit of that gritty toughness kind of infused back into sports to really develop kids because not like 1% of these kids are going to play in college and an even smaller amount will play professionally. So I'm more interested in developing these children to go out into the world and be valuable members of society who are accepting and loving and respectful than I am more worried about their 40-yard dash time because that's not going to matter. They're not going to be 
in the world of sports for very long. Like most people dream of their kid being, unfortunately, it's just not the reality. And I think that's something that needs to be focused as these qualities um, off the field and personality qualities rather than uh, physical traits. Right. And you are spot on with that. And I think it's so someone like myself who has an HR and recruiting background, I think it's very easy for me to say that your 40 time, like you said, isn't something that you can put on a resume, but you can put on your resume that you played college sports, you played high school sports, you learned how to work within a team setting, you weren't you overcame some moment of adversity. You can talk about these things in an interview setting and that can be something that can be appealing to potential employers whereas they they really don't care how fast you were. It's there's nothing it's there's nothing wrong with wanting to to be physically great and to want to compete in in that way. But I think to your larger point, there is something to be said about some of those what do you want to call them soft skill attributes that you can develop. And those are the things that are transferable when you are inevitably done playing your sport, whenever that's going to be. Definitely, because everybody's sport will end. Not one, I mean, every single person. Think of the best athlete you know, their sport ended. And so I think that's something that needs to be stressed a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely agree. I always use LeBron James (laughs) as my example. And I'm like, most of us are not LeBron James. And LeBron James is thinking about life after sports. So if you aren't thinking about life after sports, but LeBron James is, then there's something wrong here. (laughs) I mean, most of the greats are because they also know that they have to find their identity in something else. Because if your identity is rooted in a sport, then who are you when that sport's done? Right. Right. Yes, absolutely. I love that. And your dynamic for understanding all of this, I mean, it's it's obvious that whether it's something that you want to do, I know you're in a transition period right now, but if you want to stay in coaching or you want to be in development, whatever it is, you have the mindset, you have the skill set for that. I'm curious though, did you always aspire to be the type of leader that you are now? Was that something that you had to grow into a little bit? I think that I had to realize how much my words and my actions mattered and how much weight they carried. I am brutally honest and oftentimes I'm a feeler, not a thinker. I feel first, think later. And that's gotten me in a lot of trouble as a player and honestly as a coach and I envy people like my husband who think their thoughts out all the way through start to finish. How will this impact somebody? How will I look if I say this? Okay, now what do I say? And then they speak. I am so not like that. I just speak. And then later when I'm, you know, laying my head down about to go to sleep, I'm doing like a, like a self moral inventory about all the ways that I messed up that day. So I think it's a skill that I had to really, really work on and refine. And I really learned this lesson my last year pro when I played for Orlando, I felt like I, there was this lesson that I just could not quite learn. And that was your value does not come from your performance. Your value as a person is in just that, who you are, not what you do. And I had the best time that last season of my professional career, and I was not the starter. I was the backup. I only played about, oh, I don't know, 100 minutes the whole season, which is nothing. And I learned that this is my role this year, and it doesn't really matter if I'm not a starter or a captain. I'm still a leader, and I'm going to use this opportunity to lead as well as I can. I'm going to serve other people. I am a huge believer of the more you serve, the easier it is to lead. And so I really, really focused on serving my teammates every day. And it was hard for me because there were girls, there's always going to be girls that you don't like or guys you don't like on your team. If you throw yourself into a room with 30 plus random girls, I guarantee you, you're not going to like all of them. (laughs) But 
that's the business side of it. And that's also the human side of it is you have to respect people, even if you don't like them, everybody deserves respect. So I would greet my teammates every morning. I would say good morning. I would ask how their morning went. I would ask how they're doing. You know, if somebody looked like something was wrong, I would try to get them one-on-one and ask if they were okay, especially after I ripped somebody's butt on the field. If I, if I just laid into somebody on the field because they weren't doing their job or they weren't playing up to their potential, I almost always followed up with a humanization of that person. How are you doing? You did not have a good practice. We all see that. And it's fine because guess what? That practice is over. And you got better because you didn't have a good practice. But now I want to know how you're doing. What can I do to support you? Do you want to go get coffee? Do you want me to get out of your face? Like, I I just want to make sure you are okay. And once I started doing that, I gained the respect of my teammates so much so that I actually lost my contract that season. And they only had a few games left. It was right before playoffs. But the last game of the season that I was eligible for, I didn't dress out. And after the game, my teammates just fully embraced me. They had gifts for me, cards, letters of encouragement, flowers. And I felt like I had just won the national championship for my team. And all of that is so, it's it's just such great validation that when you are fully living into who you are, you're valuable to people. And you could be the best player in the world. And if you treat people like crap, people won't care about you. And I think that's why somebody like you mentioned LeBron is such a good example. He has kept his nose clean his entire career. No infidelities, no illegitimate children, no poor business decisions. He's not gone broke. He is never, you know, in the tabloids. He has not been violent. He has not done anything really to be put into a position where I I mean, I think he's one of the most respectable athletes of our time because of all of those things and and the generosity that he he does as well. I mean, there's multiple athletes like that, and those are the people that are are great examples. I mean, even Steph Curry, before he was Steph Curry, he was still treating people with respect and continued to do so after he became such a big name. I know I'm kind of going on a tangent here, but (laughs) so many of these principles I learned from a book that I read. And it was a book that I would have never read because it was a baseball book. And at the time, I had zero interest in baseball. And it was actually by David Ross, and it's called Teammate. And that book is just incredible. I don't care if you know zilch about sports or if you're the biggest sports buff. Anybody can read this book and learn valuable life lessons. And he talks about many of those key things because David Ross was never the star player. He was almost always a backup. And the years that he was with the Cubs, the years that they won, he was an intricate part of their success because he greeted his teammates every morning. He took care of his teammates. He also laid into the young guys when they were not being respectful, respectful of staff members, teammates, of their gear. And he called people out lovingly. And those are some of the key personality traits that I think you need in sports and in life. And I learned those all from that book. A friend of mine posted recently, how badly would you kill to sit down with Phil Knight or Elon Musk? Or, I mean, I can name a million people. Well, what questions would you ask them? Guess what? They all have books. And they answer all those questions in their books. And that's something that we're losing is sitting down and reading. And when I read that book, I'm like, I feel like I know David Ross now. And that book was so intricate for my professional career. And I think that that's something that young kids, they really need to do. You don't know athletes just because you follow them on Instagram. (laughs) Get enriched into these words and you'll learn so many valuable life lessons. Yeah, that's really incredible. And to add on to that, David Ross specifically, he is now the manager of the Cubs largely based on the reputation that he had as a player. And David Ross hasn't coached or managed a single day in his life. And he's now the manager of a major league organization. So a lot of what you just said can go, I think, a lot further than people think especially in the in those moments where you talked about where you weren't a starter anymore and maybe it was a little bit more difficult to to stay motivated to be a great teammate because you weren't doing what you maybe are like t- 
taught you're supposed to do when you're younger that you see on TV. But there's so many different ways that you can be a great teammate and that you can learn and that you can be honestly just a contributing member to your team or society. And that's really what it all comes down to. Hey everyone, Christine here to talk about a sponsor of this show, my own business, Sweat With Stods. Head over to sweatwithstods.com to get the workout that suits your needs, whether you work out at home, in the gym, or you're brand new to fitness, there's something for everyone. Podcast listeners also get a special discount with code DYNAMIC at checkout, so be sure to head on over there after this. Thanks, and back to the show. Before we get away, since you just brought it up and, and I'm assuming that you uh, have some recommendations, can you talk to us about some other books maybe that have inspired you the way that David Ross's book did? Yeah. One that was given to me in high school by my high school coach was The Power of Positive Thinking. This book was also just huge for me as an athlete and being a professional athlete, my rookie season, I was playing behind Hope Solo, who is an extremely intense athlete and probably one of the greatest female athletes of our time. And I think forever will be one of the greatest goalkeepers to ever walk the planet. And I had to do a lot of mental preparation to get ready to train with her and be on her team because she was training for the world cup that year in 2015. And so my role then became okay, I'm not just her backup on our pro team. I need to push her so that our country can win a World Cup. And I need to do whatever I can to be the best practice player for her because I'm not going to play in the games because she's going to be playing all the minutes to get ready for the World Cup. So what can I do to make her life easier and to make her training harder? And a book that I read um, was Mind Gym. And he alludes, it's a sports psychologist, I'm blanking on his name, but he alludes to a lot of uh, actual athletes that he has worked with from golf to baseball to NFL. So that, that book, Mind Gym, was incredible. Another one that also comes to mind is, I think it's called Ride the Bus. I'll have to double check. But it talks about uh, basically this man who's just going through life and he's extremely unhappy, unhappy in his marriage, unhappy with his job unhappy with himself and he uses this beautiful metaphor of if you're going to get on the bus if you know you're going to join our team whether that's a professional team a you know a team of realtors a team of teachers you're whatever you're doing you have a team um your family if you're going to be on our team then you need to be a a member that is going to be positive you cannot be an energy energy bus. That's what it's called. Energy bus. Um, You can't, yeah, you cannot be an energy vampire. You can't suck out all of the good, the goodness of it just because you're unhappy. And that talks a lot about kind of the role that you play in whatever team you are. So that one was huge for me in college to really get on board with our new staff that we had gotten because our former college staff had been fired. And so that was another really great book, but there's so many. And And you can even look online and athletes talk about books that have changed their mindset as well. So there's, I mean, there's hundreds of books, but those three really come to mind. The Energy Bus, Mind Gym, and The Power of Positive Thinking. I have Shoe Dog by Phil Knight that I would like to read next. Um, And I heard that it's it's a fantastic read. So that's kind of next on my, my list. Yeah, I'll echo that. Shoe Dog is amazing. So definitely make that a priority. Awesome. I will do that. Yes. Cool. Well, I appreciate all those. I'm going to throw those into the show notes too for people. So if they want to reference that really quickly, I'll link them to Amazon and they can either buy the books or find them at their local libraries. One of the areas I want to move to, so I was going to ask you, and and now I'm going to have two questions on this. So uh, bear with me for just a second. But the first question I wanted to ask was in relation to your college experience. So I had read that you started at the University of Missouri before you transferred to USC. Is that accurate? That is correct. Okay. Can you dive in a little bit as to why you made the decision to leave? Like, was it personal? And you don't need to get super personal with the details, but was it personal? Oh, yeah. Was it was it so- soccer related? What was the reasoning behind that transfer? I'm 
actually very open about this because up until recently, the transfer process, a lot of people don't know just how traumatizing it, it is for sure. student athletes. And that comes from the NCAA and how difficult they make the transfer process for kids. Now, it's not difficult. It's actually swung to the complete opposite to where it's so easy that we are not teaching kids the skill of endurance mm-hmm. and persistence through hard times, which is another conversation for another day. But it was it was a combination of both. I think that I was extremely misled in my recruiting process. I was I was a top prospect, and, and it's funny. It feels like a different lifetime ago, so I feel as though I can talk about it pretty detached. But I think that I was ranked the number one goalkeeper in the country that year when I was in my high school recruiting process, being from Missouri, I was actually not a Mizzou fan. My entire family was from Oklahoma. So it didn't feel like I was going, I was staying home. And I really loved their athletic facility and how much of a family it was. But when I got there, like I mentioned, it was quite different. The coach and I did not get along. I felt that his verbiage was aired on the side and I was going through some personal things kind of struggling a little bit with an eating disorder and and just very unhappy I lost my starting spot and really from an outsider's perspective it it didn't make sense come to find out there's just a lot of politics with fundraising and I'm sure you can use your imagination with that in terms of other players parents being donors I opened my recruiting process back up. I told them I was transferring and immediately was when I finally obtained my release, I was flooded with schools. I was very fortunate with that because my grades did not reflect that I was a hard worker. And that's something that I stress to kids. It doesn't matter how great of an athlete you are. You have to have good grades or at least show that you're doing your best. And I didn't do that. And so it came down to Nebraska, Clemson, and USC. I wanted to prove people wrong that I could be an academic. But I was also really scared because I had never applied myself fully to school. I I visited all the schools. I took my official visits and went out to USC. And it felt very uncomfortable. It felt very foreign. And I felt like... I mean, being only 18 at the time, it was a very mature decision, I think, to go for that. Nebraska and Clemson felt very safe. They were non-contenders, even though Nebraska did go on to win the Big Ten multiple times. But at the time, they were non-contenders, and I felt very comfortable there. USC felt different. The, The diversity was something I had never experienced, and... I am so happy that I did that. I grew mentally in ways that I didn't know I could. Not only that, but I really feel like I um, had a hand in building a legacy there. They actually, the year after I graduated, they won the national championship, and I was the only starter that they lost, for better or for worse. I choose to see that as a positive. Uh, Some people may say, oh, they replaced one person and they won the national championship. (laughs) But... I, I was there. I experienced it. I know that I, I had a hand in trying to develop those young kids into being better people and better teammates and hard workers. And they won the national championship the next year. And then they've made multiple semifinal top four, top eight appearances since then. I was not happy when I transferred. And I think a lot of college kids seek happiness and happiness is fleeting and it comes from within. And I had to learn that the hard way. I thought that all my problems would be solved because I thought I was leaving my problems only to find out that most problems are self-inflicted. And so I had to work really hard on the mental side of my game and my mental side of just life when I got to USC. And so that shift was intricate for me to be the person that I am today and hopefully one day to be the mother that I will be one day when I have children, I think that going to USC was the most difficult decision I've ever made, but ultimately the most um, enriching and rewarding. Yeah, I love that. I think that you stretching yourself and putting yourself in an uncomfortable situation that is it's unique. It's not the path that most people take. They they usually take that safe, comfortable direction that you talked about earlier that you, you could have gone down that path, but you've grown so much as a result of it. And that's such a cool story to hear. So I'm really glad that you shared that. And then 
earlier in the conversation, you were talking about a staff that got fired and how you ended up reading the energy bus. Did that happen in college? Did that happen in the pros? That actually, I, it happened in college. So when I transferred to USC, there was a coaching staff in place there. And after my last game of my junior year, they were all fired. Wow. Ironically enough, that is two of the three members of that coaching staff were involved in the USC athletic scandal. Uh, that was happening when I was in college. Okay, we were all highly unaware that that was happening. Um, and the new staff, the new coaching staff that came in, they flipped our team culture on its head. No longer could we cuss, or the entire team was punished. We were to read the energy bus and pass it along to a teammate that was not in our class, and then that sparked conversations about the book to where eventually the entire team read the book before season started. My junior year. We were ranked 235th in the whole country at a school that is best known for its national championships. My senior year, we were top 25 with the exact same group of girls. The only thing that changed was the coaching staff. And so that's a credit to them and the work that they did with us off the field um, as well as on the field. So it was a required read. And I'm, I'm so glad that, that they made us do that. So in that moment, was there before you had the opportunity to read that book and it changed your perspective. Was there another moment of reflection there where you said, is this really where I need to be? Did you ever have a thought about making another transfer? I didn't even know if you, before you said, you know, like the, the open portal rules now where you can pretty much go anywhere. But did that, did those thoughts ever cross your head before you got through to that, to that moment where obviously things were really good? Oh my goodness, every day for almost a year and a half. And I think that's what I kind of alluded to when I said, I thought I was just going to, I thought I was leaving all my problems. I thought, okay, this is my environment and I just need a new environment. And <laughs> and I will say oftentimes that is the truth for some athletes. They're in an environment that is not conducive to who they are. And I encourage people to transfer, but I have very serious conversations with kids before they transfer because your, your frontal cortex is still developing at a rapid weight, uh, rate when you're in college, and your decision-making is in that. And so many kids, they're not making decisions based on hard facts. They're making decisions based on fleeting emotions. And it's such a big deal to transfer, even though the four years goes by so fast. But there's so much shaping that happens in those four years. And like I said, I rethought it constantly. I was unhappy. I was not making friends. I was really struggling in school and I was homesick, even though I thought that all I ever wanted was to get away from Missouri. I remember asking my coach from home, can I transfer again? And he's like, you can't go D1 to D1 again. You'd have to go D2, D3, NAIA. And my ultimate goal was to play professionally. And I knew if that's what I wanted more than anything, then I was at the best school to do that. And I needed to suck it up and figure out a way to get through all of these obstacles. And it was not until my senior year that I felt like I really started to get it. And a huge, huge part of that goes to my head coach, Kadani McAlpine, who is still at USC. And he told me, I care way more about you as a person than I do care about you as a player because you're only a player right now, even though that piece will always be in your heart, but you're a person first and you're going to go out into the world. And I need to be sure that I did all I can to shape you as a young woman. And that is that staff's motto. And they care so deeply about their players, not to be dramatic, but they changed my life. They changed the whole course of action of my life. And I'm forever thankful that I did stick it out because I owe everything to that athletic department for taking me on and giving me a, a very valuable piece of paper that many people don't get the opportunity to get. I certainly would not have been able to afford a division one school without a scholarship. Again, that's just amazing perspective to have around it. There's so much more than you can get outside of just being able to play the sport that I assume you have a, a deep passion for uh, and, mm-hmm. that, and that you may even love to a certain extent. So that's really, really cool. 
Uh, I appreciate all of that insight. I want to talk a little bit about, you mentioned being in a little bit of a transition time right now where you're not exactly sure what you're doing. And I only want to ask about this because you're not alone. That I want to say that first, that you are, you. are probably in the majority, even though it may feel like you're on an island. <laughs> uh, yes. So can you tell us a little bit about maybe why you decided to leave coaching for the time being and why you are looking into some other options, like what your mindset is right now, some of the aspects that you'd like to accomplish? Definitely. I think that I was extremely passionate about coaching. I, I always loved coaching. I love seeing the process of development in players. It gives me more fulfillment than seeing somebody else overcome an obstacle and knowing that you may have played a small part in it. Coaching college is a different animal. That is, I mean, I'll leave it at that. And I think that my competitiveness is meant for a bigger program. And I, I loved my time at Tulsa and I learned an immense amount about myself as a person and a coach, but it just felt like it was time to leave. Maybe a little bit opportunistic, but I had recently been uh, gotten engaged to my now husband and I resigned in June and he had kind of established himself uh, with, he plays in the MLB and he had kind of established himself at that point. And we made a, a decision together that I would move up to be with him the rest of the season. And I would continue to do private lessons, kind of stay in the soccer world with that aspect of it, and also teach uh, Pilates and kind of figure out what was next really no job opportunities that felt right were coming up. And it was one of those seasons of life where I was saying no to a lot of things. And honestly, I was being told no. I was really struggling with my purpose and my identity. And it really hit me for the first time that it was truly the first time in my life that soccer was not the driving force of me waking up every day. It felt like a really good time to deal with that to take it head on and to not mask it with another opportunity or to just hop onto another team or hop into another coaching position. So I did a lot of work with myself in trying to figure out who I am as a person and my goals in life. And so I am still in that transition. We're now married and it feels like and feminists all over the world are probably going to come pick it in my yard, but <laughs> I, I really believe this is my husband's time to shine and that this is his childhood dream has, has come true. And that happens for so few people who play baseball their whole life because oh, so many little boys play baseball and so few actually make it to the show. My husband was up for rookie of the year this year for the AL and he came in second he was an MLB all-star and he almost quit last year, quit baseball because he was in the minor leagues grinding through another season. It's just been, it's an, he has an incredible story and it feels like right now I am in the role of being the support system, the behind the scenes, leading our household in different ways that he's unable to right now because he's working tirelessly every single day to keep honing in on his craft to have an even better year next year. And so I think that with marriage comes compromise. It's better to bend a little bit than to break. And we are committed to each other for the rest of our lives. And life is really long. And I've had so many crazy chapters of my life. And this is just one chapter where I'm behind the scenes and he's in the spotlight because I love him so much. His dream has become mine. And I'm so happy to just cheer him on and be there for him through the highs and the lows. We also have a lot of things going on with our family off the field that people don't know about. And we really need, we really need each other and need to be there for each other. So right now my place is, is with him. And we both talk about this constantly. Like if an opportunity arose, we would have a, a conversation about it and we would see what's best for me, what's best for him, what's best for us, but really no opportunities have, have come about that have really excited me. I'm just kind of in that waiting period, but I feel really confident that when something is right, it will come along at the right time and it will be really obvious that it's the opportunity that is for me. But so to answer your question 
very, very long-winded. That's kind of where I am right now. It's, it's a beautiful life. It's a hectic life. And professional sports are not as glamorous as people uh, believe them to be. And so we are just taking it day by day right now. And that's kind of my motto right now is just day by day. And I know eventually this will all unfold into being exactly where we're supposed to be. Thank you for sharing that. And I love how you added some context into there. Your husband, John, he was an all-star in 2019, finished runner-up to Rookie of the Year. Honestly, that's an amazing season. And then to even build on that, he was just in the minor leagues uh, as as late as 2018. So I think, yeah. it, I think it's amazing how you have been able to, because like you said, I, I think and, and I don't know this because I never played professionally and my wife didn't play professionally either, but we see it from the outside and we see sports as glamorous, but then you have to remember that you and, and your husband in this case, you, you are human beings, right? You have the same mm-hmm. desires and the same needs as many of us do in life. And, yeah. and there are, and there are things you, you want to get married. You want eventually yeah. to have kids. I heard you say in, in the future. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sports is is great, and it's a it's a living. It's providing money and and those type of things that are necessary to provide. But it's not the only thing. And I, I I think you pointed that out very nicely. That this is just one chapter, and just because you're not, it it, it almost goes back to like when you weren't starting for Orlando, and you had this this perspective for forever that maybe you should have been a starter, and that was what your value was but your value isn't being a starter just like your value in in life isn't to be working a corporate nine to five job <laughs> just so yeah you absolutely <laughs> you're, you're so right and we talk about that often and it's funny because john is we're very opposite personalities in the sense of like when i walk into a room without realizing it i take over the whole room john is gonna kind of slide in have a one-on-one conversation with somebody and so we always joke he's like this life is like not for me like you are the one who were supposed was supposed to be like you know he he would never call himself a superstar but i'm like he you know for the sake of context he's like you're the one who wanted to be famous and wanted to be well known and wanted all of that and you're way more equipped for it i don't even want to public speak and so we always kind of joke about that And I'm like, well, maybe God just knew I would not be able to handle it because I would become so self-centered. And maybe that's why I'm in this support role right now to like really learn how to be selfless and how to be a great partner and a great teammate. So we talk about that often in in the context of of marriage as well, kind of like you mentioned. So it's been really interesting and it's, it's funny how the lessons never stop. Yeah, absolutely. Always have opportunities to learn. That's one of my core values with my con- uh, with my company. Excuse me. Always be learning. So I can definitely relate to that. And Caroline, before I let you go, I just have a couple things here really quick. The first is where can people find you on social media if they want to follow along with everything that's going on? Yeah, I am uh, at caro.means on Instagram, C-A-R-O. I'm not sure who Caroline Means is, but she took the name change when I tried to switch to my new married name. <laughs> and then um, on Twitter, I'm still at Caroline Stan. And I, I use both of those pretty often. I also have a blog that is under construction right now, pending, and I'm, I'm in the process of writing a couple books. So there's some things that are in the works that I'm trying to work on obviously finding a publisher is is one but yeah caroline stan and caro means you can find me really anywhere and i love connecting with people i think social media can be a great tool if you use it properly and use it as everything in small consumption uh (laughs) but i think you know moderation so I, i would love to connect with people though and this has been fantastic i'm so happy that you're doing this podcast and i think that it's really going to go some awesome places. I can't wait to see it grow. Thank you so much for the kind words. And I will put that information in the show notes too, if there is anyone that wants to connect, even if they just want to follow along, maybe don't necessarily want to uh, have a conversation, but we will put that in the show notes. And last thing, Caroline, before I let you go. So the show is called Dynamic Leaders and 
obviously you have showcased in a number of different ways why you are on the show yourself, but I always love to give my guests an opportunity to shout out someone in their own life that has showcased great leadership qualities. Do you have somebody that you'd like to give a quick shout out to? Oh, I'm sure she would never hear this podcast because she's busy fighting fires on the West Coast, but and she was only in my life for a brief while, but Keelan Winters was the captain for the Seattle Reign, my rookie season, and I have never met a leader that was so selfless and so respected. I think that she taught me so much, and she probably does not even know it. I would also shout out my forever goalkeeper coach, Dave Wiebengay. He is local to Missouri, and he actually has his own leadership and faith-based business and he has just taught me lessons my entire life. He's also a high school coach, at least I'm at high school. And you, he's online, Excel goalkeeping. Follow along with him. It's not just soccer, it's life lessons as well. So I would say those are the first two people that came to mind. And I'll say one more. My mom has taught me. I mean, I could go on and on about my mom. She is somebody that has always owned up to her mistakes and then pushed through and been better. And she's taught me and my sister and my brother to be independent people who respect others. And I I know everybody says their mom is the best mom in the world, but truly she is something (laughs) special entering into the workforce in her fifties after decades of being out of the workforce and just absolutely killing it. So she's awesome. Her name's Kelly Drake and I love you, mom. So that's who I would shout out. Those are three amazing shout outs and an incredible way to end this conversation. And Caroline, I I just want to say that I think that you are whatever it is that you end up finding and doing, it's going to, you're going to make an impact because you definitely have the right mindset and the right attitude towards everything. So please take your time and find something that you enjoy because that's ultimately the most important aspect. But I I just wanted to say that and I, I wish you the best of luck. I wish John the best of luck too. Although, please tell him to take it easy on the Yankees when when they play them this year. <laughs> that is one team that he and I we are not taking it easy on. But <laughs> you know, we've got some revenge on the Yankees. He's got some revenge on the Yankees, but he needs to. But thank you, I appreciate that so much.